Today's guest is a Super Bowl champion. Underneath Tony Dungy, Ben Utecht won Super Bowl 41, and now he's taking that championship-winning culture into the corporate world. He's a singer. He's a leader. He's a chief cultural officer. Please welcome Ben Utecht. You're listening to C-Suite Blueprint, the show for C-Suite leaders. Here we discuss no BS approaches to organizational readiness and digital transformation. Let's start the show. Ben, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, George. Man, looking forward to this. Yeah, I was thinking about you just the other day. A member of my team, they uh, they messed up with something. Uh-oh. And so um, I yelled at them. I had them drop and give me 20. I told Good. the rest of the team that they should make that person feel bad for letting them da- down. And then I yep. told them that he should. He, he's an awful person. Is that a, a good approach? I think it's, you know, the only thing I would have added is, is maybe having me put my pads on and, you know, full contact tackle drill. But <laughs> other than that. <laughs> Office lineman. <laughs> so um, clearly not the right approach. And, um, right. you know, what I love about your story is, you know, that kind of was the approach for a long time in, in football, right? And I'm curious, you know, what was it like when you, when you saw it could be different and how did you and how did everyone else kind of re- react to that and adapt to that? Yeah. You know, the first thing you got to understand about the NFL is, you know, statistically speaking, if you make it to the NFL, you're the top 1% of every division one football player in the country, mm-hmm. right? So already you step into an atmosphere where this is the best talent that exists on the planet to play this sport. And with that comes very strong personalities. Mm. And, and so, you know, when you think about leadership styles and, and what has typically worked in sports and in, in order to handle those personalities, you, you yourself as the leader or as the coach, you have to be tough, right? And there's a, there's a, there's a mindset that comes with that. So then the question really for me was, okay, well, what, is, what does that actually mean to have to be tough? Does tough have to look just one way? Mm. And you know, when you really dive into, you know, to the platform of how to get the best out of people, especially in sports like football, which is such an intense industry with so much pressure and so much stress, you know, most of the coaching styles that I grew up with really were built more on a platform of fear and intensity and, you know, manipulation. How do we break these guys down and build them back up? Uh, the way that we want them to be in order to achieve our goals. And so when I stepped into that Super Bowl championship locker room led by Tony Dungy, everything changed because you had a man that built an entire style on servant leadership. This idea that if I build better men, I get better football players, that the human condition is the core, the core and the heartbeat of performance. And I'm not, and I, you know, what I'm saying is actually true. It actually happened, right? It's not just talking about integrity and character and courage and empathy and grace and vulnerability. It's, it's actually practicing those things in order to develop the human while you're developing the football player. And not just beat them into submission. Right. And, and you guys, you had actual tangible results, right? So it's hard to argue with. Well, yeah, because you're talking, you know, again, we're talking about the human condition. So a servant leadership approach still has to be tough. Mm. A servant leadership approach still has to have a very sound, strong, and sustainable mindset. You know, 
all of the same things need to be in place. It's just your approach to how you use them is different. And so, you know, even, you know, look at Dungey's first book, Quiet Strength. That really embodies how he coached. He, he never swore or used vulgarity. He always talked calmly and very much to the point with, with us as players. He always said, listen, I'm going to speak to you as men. Uh, but that didn't mean that there wasn't expectations that were very clear and that those expectations didn't come with reward and consequence. So it, it's the same result. It's just putting a spin on it that puts priority on how do I improve the human being? Because if I, if I improve the human being, then I'm going to get more value and more purpose and more commitment out of that individual than ever before. And that's, that's what I stepped into and, and experienced. It makes a lot of sense. It's um, there's parallels to parenting too, right? Like I know you have daughters. Oh I've I have a daughter, but it's like you want to be you want to you want to parent with love, but that doesn't mean there aren't rules, right? That doesn't mean that there aren't guidelines and expectations that and accountability. Yeah. It it doesn't mean that you're just a pushover. I like that that concept of it doesn't mean we're not tough. It just redefining what tough means. I I love that, especially in an environment where you do have to wrangle a ton of egos, right, and a ton of like top top talent. I could see where that's difficult. Yep. Did you ever see anyone meet that with any pessimism? Like, oh, that won't work or, you know, or was it welcome? Was it a welcome change within the sport? Well, yeah, I had come into the Colts years after Dungey got there and after Peyton got there and a number of the other Hall of Fame leaders that that came out of that that organization, including our general manager, Bill Polian, also in, in the Hall of Fame. And so there really there really was no pessimism coming into this locker room because all of the significant leaders made the choice to be committed to this idea that the Colts way, the, the culture that was chosen and made objective was the path that they wanted to be on in order to win a Super Bowl. And so then all of the onboarding, all of the new talent that you bring into that into that locker room then is immediately brought under the mentorship of these leaders, you know, like Peyton Manning, who has made that choice and is living it out. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it was, you know, it was um, such a just such a new and special environment to be in. Yeah. And I guess that's when you get to that point where you make it so clear and so known what this culture is that people, if it's not for them, they're going to select out, right? Or you're going to select them out. And and it kind of, it, it kind of, you protect that house and that culture that way, right? Absolutely. And, and especially when your head coach is someone that, that consistently lives it 100% of the time, every single day mm. and never wavers. You know, I've, I've often described him as a pillar because he was unflappable. He was unwavering. And the, the type of you know, the solidarity that that creates uh, in the locker room is profound. And so, you know, really, that's why I always say culture is the leader's choice. Mm. And when those leaders make a choice and when they programatize ways in which to practice those beliefs, uh, that's when you get the fruit of development in these individuals. Yeah, it doesn't work when you go half in. And and the th- what people don't realize, some people don't realize, it's not easy to go full in. And there are a lot of sacrifices. And I work with a lot of companies and even ourselves internally. I, there are a lot of hard decisions that you need to make to go all the way in. And it's uh, it's it's difficult, but the return is is fantastic, right? Yeah, because you know when you choose culture, when when you take it out of being really the most subjective term right now in corporate America, and you actually choose 
to make it objective, there's no way around the fact that you have to draw a line in the sand. And when you draw that line, when you when you stand firmly on that decision, you are going to lose a percentage of people that don't have the same belief or value system and don't want to be committed in the way that you're asking them to be committed. And so there's just no way around that. But what comes out of it is the fruit of being able to hire new talent, develop existing talent into the fullness of what that objective culture is capable of producing. Yeah, I love that. And and you're taking all of those lessons out into the corporate world now. Yeah. I'd love to talk a little, lay a little bit of a, a foundational framework for, you know, what is the same between professional sports in the corporate world and what's different, especially now that you've got to experience both. Because we use a lot of the same language. You know, we talk about people at work dropping the ball. We talk about teamwork, you know, all that. But really, what are the fundamental similarities and differences? Well, I think, I think, the most obvious is, is money, right? I think, you know, and obviously that's changed now for college sports, but, but when I was playing, all of a sudden you went from being a amateur to being a professional. And so now there are salaries, there are incentives, you know, there's a number of different ways to create a reciprocal relationship, right? Where you feel value and that value comes based upon a salary. Mm. And so that's definitely something that is, that is very similar. I think another thing that's incredibly similar is a company's desire to find the top talent. And that's really what makes Super Bowl teams is, is general managers and, and coaching staffs coming together with the scouting department to go out uh, and to find the talent and to, and to bring the talent onto the team. And so as I've worked with companies um, that, are, that are hiring into that as well, that, that is, a, I think, a similarity that, that exists. Companies want to find the best talent and put that talent on the field. A couple of the, the differences that <laughs> I always enjoy uh, kind of enlightening people to is, number one, there is no HR department mm-hmm. on a football team, <laughs> right? That's so interesting. There's no HR department. And so the way that, that communication happens uh, in professional football, behaviors between leadership and team members, you know, can go places and do go places that you know, will be more appropriate and more inappropriate in a corporate setting. Mm. You know, you, you wouldn't use the same language you do in an NFL locker room that you would use in corporate America. You'd have a lot of lawsuits. Okay. Yeah. But you also get a very paternal relationship that comes out of professional sports. You know, coaches really take a familial approach to building relationships with the team. And so then you're actually able to go deeper into interpersonal relationships. And that uh, is also something that is a struggle at times in, in corporate America. And so there are, there are pros and cons to that. And then I would say the other is that in professional football, I always say that we practiced 95% of the time to perform 5% of the time. But in yeah. business, you're performing 98% of the time, and maybe you get 2% of, of personal and team development over the course of four quarters. And so, you know, that's something that I think is really unique and, and, and really adds to the programs that I'm really working on utilizing for companies because you have to figure out how to practice culture while working. And that, that's where some of the magic is. 
you know, we talked about this a little bit last time we spoke and it hit me pretty hard when, when you, when you laid it out like that. And as, as a, as a leader myself, you know, I started looking at my company and saying, what are the things that we can quote unquote drill that we're not right now? Because I know you talk about this and I talk about this quite a bit as well, which is how important intentional communication is. But if you're in a situation that you haven't trained for, it becomes really hard and it it becomes even harder when that situation is filled with chaos. And so I'm trying to take a scalpel to, to the stuff that we do and say, all right, we definitely cannot drill 90, 95% of it the way that professional sports do. But what what can we? And, and one I started to latch on to now is, is just difficult conversations because, you know, I feel like you can read about it, you know, all day long. But then when you actually walk into a difficult conversation, it's usually a, kind of a crappy situation that's going on that has, has made it come to that point. And so I'm looking at ways that I can start to even just drill that with my team and just really get muscle memory, even for the, like the little stuff. I'm curious yeah. if, if you have an experience with, th- with that at all. Yeah, I do. And, you know, and I've thought through a lot of those things, you know, when you think about John Maxwell talks about the, the power of margin, mm. right. And, and he has this, he has this, uh, this algorithm for margin, this 80, 20, 80, 20, ratio where you know you really need to try in your personal and business life to create 20% margin towards you know development opportunities and so when you think about being in a position as a leader and you're working with teams and and one of the things you want to develop is is communication skills and criticality skills in order to have some of those more difficult conversations well you have to figure out how to have more opportunities every week to, to meet and actually sit down and have those types of conversations with people. And a lot of times they come out of, they come out naturally through uh, development opportunities. You know, so are there ways every week where you can sit down with one of your team members and, and, and have a conversation about, about uh, growth rec- recommendation areas? Because whenever you, whenever you talk to anybody about areas for growth, it's, there's always vulnerability that has to take place in that conversation. Mm-hmm. And you're naturally just developing those skills the more you're willing to go into some of those those types of behavioral principles for improvement and talk to people about it. Yeah, it always takes more time than than you think. And I know I, I know one thing I, I always like to do, and I admittedly don't do it enough, is you know, if you can grab those 10 minutes after a meeting and you can tell someone and give them some critical feedback, you know, in do it with love, do it with caring, but like those little like micro difficult conversations, like the more micro difficult conversations you can, you can have and model, then that empowers them to then have those with people around them. But, you know, I think we're all so bad at carving off that time. Well, and, and, and George, even, uh, even more purposeful is the question of, do you actually believe that if you improve or develop a, someone into a stronger leader, that it will have an impact on the bottom line? Mm, right? yeah. and, and because here's the thing, if, if I were to tell you that if you took 20% of your time and actually spent more with more intentionality on developing your leaders, that your revenue would increase by 15% over the next 12 to 24, I mean, you might go, okay, I need to start doing that. Yeah. But, but you got to believe that that's actually going to happen, that the, you know, the better they become as a leader, the, the, the stronger their output is going to be and the more revenue they're going to generate. Yeah. Yeah. You got to believe it. And also I feel like it kind of gets lumped into the same category though, of like, 
I would also feel a lot better if I exercised every day or five days out of the week too, right? You know, like you can believe it, but then you also need to really truly prioritize it and truly, you know, make the time. And, and maybe you need someone outside of yourself to just smack you upside the head once in a while if you're not if you're not doing it enough right? with love, of course. Well, we had a, one of one of our belief pillars was accountability. Mm. And so what I called accountability in the NFL was the eye in the sky doesn't lie. And it was the reality that every single minute of every day was filmed. We even filmed team meeting rooms in order to hold players accountable to not fall asleep. Because <laughs> if you take a nap in a meeting and you get caught a number of times, then they start to fine you thousands of dollars for a cat nap. That's an expensive nap. An expensive nap. <laughs> but I will tell you that you step into a culture of evaluation in professional sports, you're, you, we just become used to it because every single day, every practice, every play, uh, every meeting is is captured, and 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 you go back and you watch those, and you evaluate your execution, and so that is a level of accountability that doesn't exist in 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 corporate America, and it when when it's done in a way that's designed to help an athlete take every weakness they have and turn it into a strength, then it's widely accepted and it becomes a powerful tool to help people reach their potential. You know, and so, yeah, accountability is, is priority. Yeah. I feel like also a lot of times prior to this conversation or you and I meeting, you know, I feel like a lot of times people would come at me, like if we wanted to do role-playing to kind of practice certain scenarios, it could be seen as a little like, touchy feely, a little hokey, but like, if I could draw the parallels to like, Hey, this is the same thing as drilling on the football field and like slamming into another body continuously. Like, yeah. so it's not, it's not, it doesn't, you know, drilling is drilling. It doesn't mean that it's just too touchy feely. Nothing that, not that there's anything wrong with being touchy feely either. Well, no, or, or you can do exercises. I mean, you know, when you're in sports, visualization technique is, is something that's been practiced for decades. Mm. And, you know, to sit down and actually close your eyes and to work through specific plays and to see yourself doing those plays correctly and successfully, to see yourself as a tight end releasing outside the defensive end, running down the seam, seeing the ball going over the, the middle linebacker's hands into your hands as you catch it and then you tuck it. I mean, being really detailed with that is something that actually has crossover to the field. And you can do those types of things too in, in, in team and individual development to help people grow. You know, you can put them in scenarios and help them think through how they would respond. And just going through that in practice will help improve. Makes a lot of sense. Cause I even think of, um, you know, we always talk about how um, being unclear is being unkind, right. And, and clarity is, is paramount, but I guess if you're not being clear with yourself and what you're, and you can't visualize what you're trying to do, how the heck can you be clear with the people around you? Right. So it's that to kind of put your own, your own oxygen mask on first, I guess, with, with that type of a thing. Yeah, I do. A, I, I do a, a segment called uh, the language of Manning. And it was, it, it really is kind of celebrating the one of the most intricate offenses in NFL history with, with Peyton Manning and his audible system. And what the audible system taught me was that words matter mm. and the rhetoric of words matter. And that words are very subjective to people. So as a leader, you will say things that make a lot of sense to you, but not might not 
make the same sense that you intend for it to make to your team members. Guilty. Right. So, (laughs) so out of that, you know, is a culture of communication that revolves around what I call content purpose and delivery. Mm. the The three questions are, what are you saying? Why are you saying it? And how are you saying it? And so whenever you're getting ready to speak to your team, ask yourself those three questions, because if you can clearly define those, then you'll enter into that, that period of, of teaching, education, communication with a lot more clarity, right? Yeah. And, then, and then Dungey had this thing where this culture of asking questions was so important. And the way that he overcame people's natural insecurities about raising their hands in front of other people and, and, and asking questions was everybody had to ask one. Oh, and interesting. So, and so when you're delivering your message, you know, and if, if it's too large of a group, that might take too much time, but you might uh, identify two, three, or several, several team members, and it's their turn to ask a question. And people know that that's going to be cyclical. It's going to go across the entire staff in different meetings, and that, that that's what the expectation is. So they become prepared, and they're not as insecure because they know everybody's going to have to go through it. And the more questions you get, the more clarity. Crazy. Yeah, everyone's going to get their time in there. Yeah, nothing's worse than like you do a big company presentation and you say, okay, any questions? And then it's just silence, you know, and or you have like the one or two canned obvious planted questions for folks that are out there to to get the conversation going. But I I like that idea of just really because you're engaging at that point, right? Like it's just continued engagement. Well, so yeah, there's something about community that there's something about community that inspires great questioning. And as a speaker, I always close with Q&A. And, and, and whether it's working with a team of 20 or being in front of 300 executives, the first question is, is the one that always takes the longest, right? Because like you just said, okay, does anybody have any questions? And it always, looking up, exactly. But then <laughs> one does it, one goes for it. And then the answer to that question puts people at ease and gets them more interested in the topic, right? And then the next hand goes up and the next hand. And all of a sudden you've been up there for 20 minutes answering answering questions. Mm. And so yeah, if you can develop, if you can develop a culture that celebrates questioning, then then you're gonna inspire people to to pursue more clarity. Yeah. And Man, the whole purpose of why you're saying something. I've probably been guilty of, you know, I'm saying something because, I don't know, am I trying to sound smarter than I am? You know, am I, is, there, is there just like some ego thing that's driving the reason that I'm saying something rather than what am I actually trying to accomplish? I'm, I'm sure I've been guilty of that, right? Oh, Who isn't? Sure. Yeah, for sure. And, that, and that, a lot of that depends on a person's behavioral profile. Usually people that are, usually people that are very high in self-confidence very high in exhibitionism, which is they thrive in the limelight. They have to have their voice heard. Mm. You know, so you have people in the, in the, in your, in your meetings or boardrooms, they're always the ones that are talking because they love to hear their voice. Right. And so those, those people can, can have behavioral preferences that, you know, at times, you know, can get them in, into trouble because, you know, they of that purpose for why they're, why they're speaking. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many different types of communication. And I feel like I know ourselves and a lot of our clients, there's so many frameworks out there to, you know, people figure out what their their Myers-Briggs are or their predictive index or their strengths finder. And I've seen so many people go through those, but maybe maybe this ties together a couple of things. Like they don't go all the way, they go halfway with it. And then the other is they don't make the time to actually then like, all right, we have this information. How do we now train with this information? 
it's just kind of like because without the training it just turns to, to like almost what i was i always make this joke which is like oh you know me like i'm just a scorpio and it's like no you're being a jerk like you can't use that <laughs> as an excuse <laughs> yeah no and listen that's why i fell in love with this company behavioral essentials that i that i'm now working with full-time because this this behavioral assessment and culture tool that we have the the clinical psychologist who founded it wanted to make sure that there were practical and tactical forms of application right that that what you're giving people can actually be used right now to develop right so in our coaches report when it goes through each of your key behavioral attributes uh, not only does it kind of define your strengths and your growth areas but then it gives recommendations at least four recommendations for how to grow in that area. Mm. Four bullet points that tell you as a leader, or if you're developing your team members, here's what you can start to do right now to become a better listener. Here, if you're if you're high free spirit, here's what you can do to be, you know, and and so you got to make it practical and tactical, otherwise you lose people. Yeah, yeah. And you need to be a little humble with that because I think a lot of people's reaction is like, oh, well, this one part, like, I believe everything else that this assessment did of me, but this one thing that's nonsense, it's probably their fault. It's not my fault. (laughs) I know, you know, I'll never forget learning the lesson from a pastor named Rick Warren. He said that affirmation always disarms confrontation. Hmm. So I've always tried to do a good job with my team members of whenever I need to step into a you know, a difficult conversation or a challenging conversation that you always do it with affirmation. You know, you, you, you work to try and find the good things that are, that are a part of who that person is and a part of the work that they're doing. Uh, because that is always going to lower the guard and allow for more vulnerability, more clarity, more understanding. And, and ultimately that I always want, want my team members to walk away feeling stronger and, and better you know, than when they came in. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing but good stuff happens when you make everyone around you feel, feel better and, and bigger and stronger. Right. It's uh, so funny, man. Like who would have thought that like taking football into the corporate world would be met, it would be with all this compassion and empathy and, and human <laughs> <laughs> versus well, like Terry Tate office linebacker just coming <laughs> at you. <laughs> and, and listen, there, there is an underbelly. I mean, I, I'm, I know I'm, I'm giving a unique perspective on some of the in, you know, wonderful qualities of servant leadership and how it, how it allowed us to win, but there are definitely valleys and there's definitely, you know, struggle and, and difficult personalities to work with. And, you know, in old school coaching, that's a part of the the staff, but overall, you know, it was, um, it was a very unique environment that, that, you know, really, I've never seen a team more committed. I've been on a handful and, and this was, you know, I think this was unique. Uh, because of the things we've been talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So I was going to ask you a question, but before we do anything, is there a topic that we didn't cover something you think that we should talk about that we didn't? Gosh, I, you know, I don't think so. I mean, there, there, there are a couple of maybe a couple of really unique things that were representative of the the practice belief system with the Indianapolis Colts is our Super Bowl ring is the only ring in the history of football to have the, a belief system engraved in the side of the ring. It's the word faith. Hmm. And it, it, it had nothing to do with religion. It wasn't, it wasn't about a specific type of faith. It was about having faith in each other, right? So, so Dungy's whole goal was how do I build a family? And the acronym for family in football is forget about me, I love you. 
And so it's this idea that that love and selflessness is the key to unlocking in true unity and engagement, positive unity and positive engagement. And then the, the word faith stood for freedom for all individuals to trust and hope in each other. Hmm. So if I can get 53 of the most diverse people on the planet to trust and hope in each other, I've just built a family. And a family is the, is the strongest unit that exists and it's the most difficult to dismantle and it's the most committed to each other. And that's how we're gonna win. And we did. Yeah. And, and I also love the, the way that he would talk about the 53, which is, you know, the 53rd is just as important as the third, right? And, and it oh, takes yeah. every single one to, to make it work. And that's why I think it's important to have like those no jackass policies in, in an organization, because just as, as important it is to treat the 53rd like the third, like just one person in there is going to be really bad for the organization. So, so true. And, and, and so like, that's one of the reasons I got so, so excited about, about working with our E3 tool, because one of the customized benchmarks that we have over a million usage, usages is a culture fit benchmark, mm. right? So the psychology is, is what you believe equals how you behave. Okay. So if you can assess a person's behavioral profile, you can actually extract what their foundational belief system is. And so you're able to go in and assess a board, a C-suite, and top performers, and you can create what their culture stream is. And so then when you hire in, not only do you, if you're hiring into a sales position, not only do you have a benchmark that can help you hire in the right behavioral profile for a salesperson, but now you can also cross-reference that with the culture stream of the organization. So are they a culture fit? Right. And if they're not, it will show you the areas you need to go deeper to to confirm or challenge whether whether they're the right fit for the culture of an organization. So it's designed to help with, like you said, you know, bringing in toxicity into an environment, you know, versus yeah. people that will come hit the ground running, thriving because they're already behaviorally in alignment to the culture. Yeah. Something that you uncovered a little bit in that, though, also is the microcultures within the culture, right? The sales team versus, you know, yeah. I'm sure like defense versus offense and, you know, all of that. Every position. Yeah. Cause I find if you, if you've, someone might be a great fit for your overall culture, but if you somehow put them in a role where they're in the wrong microculture, it's a problem, right? And they're an uncomfortable and they're not, they don't feel safe. And it's all about, you know, it's that, that whole damn like, putting the right people in the right seat is really, really hard sometimes. It's really tough. But the cool thing about all the unique technologies that are out there is that you, we're getting better at identifying what those are so that we can help leaders who aren't psychologists, you know, really figure out like myself, right? But, but having these tools available is, is at, least, it, it, at least it's a catalyst to making better decisions and making sure people get into into the right position because it's not only is it bad for the company, but think about the effect that it has on a person's life when they, they go into an environment that they're not a fit with. And all yeah. of a sudden, all of a sudden they're waking up going, what am I doing? But they need the money. So they yeah. keep going, but then they go home and they start getting depressed and there's all sorts of stuff that can come out of, of making those wrong decisions. Yeah. That's why I always try to come into the conversations with employees where it's like, this is about me making sure that I find the right place for you as a human. Like 
doesn't have to be in this company, doesn't have to be in this team. You know, this is just, let's find out where your super strengths are and where your happy place is so that we can, we can get you there. Right. And, and that, that's why I like, like the, you know, a lot of that, sometimes when you let someone go, like you could do that still with love, you know, it's just because it's the best thing for them sometimes. Yeah. That was one of, you know, that was one of our, our championship uh, pillars was grace, believe it or not. And and mm. that's really what coach Donji lived out. And it's kind of hard to believe, like, why would you have grace in an NFL locker room or in a corporate uh, environment? But grace just means to act with kindness or clemency. And so I remember a situation where we were playing the Tennessee Titans seconds left on the clock. I release into the end zone and I push off of the safety who came down to cover me, man. I get open. I make the catch to win the game. And then the ref throws the flag because I, I had offensive pass interference. Mm. And I would you do that. I was devastated. First of all, (laughs) I mean, you know, it's, you know, for when your mistakes are on national television, I can't imagine, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and I was so nervous and I didn't sleep really well. And I'm in the, I'm in the hallway with uh, walking and here comes coach Dungey. This is before our team meeting room. And, you know, he stopped me and we just talked through that play and he had the most calm demeanor and calm, you know, calm voice, full of grace, just saying, you know, Ben, like great player, you know, you work really hard. You know, this is just one of those mistakes. Mm. And I believe in you. I believe in you. And, and I, you know, I think we're going to get better after this, but, but this team meeting will be a little bit difficult for you because we have to talk about it and, you know, we have to challenge you and we've got to do that as a team. So we'll get through it. We'll have a better practice today. So, you know, look, that approach, I walked away feeling more at peace, even though I knew what was coming. Yeah. The way that he treated me, you know, so and, great. and he said, look, you're going to have to face some consequences today and it's going to be uncomfortable, but I believe in you and we're going to make it, we're going to make it through together. I mean, that's a totally different way. Yeah. I mean, I, some of that, it almost makes you beat up yourself a little bit less too, you know, because that's, yeah. So the, the, the last question I always like to ask, but you might've already said this cause you've dropped a whole bunch of like advice bombs in here, but you know, if you had to pick one, what was the top advice that anyone's ever given you? The top advice that everyone, it really revolves around integrity and authenticity. Mm. Be who you are in every situation. Don't be fake, be authentic. I think it's something we don't talk enough about. Like, you know, and, and even some of these assessments that are asking you to, to fill out, well, who are you at home and who are you at work? Be authentic, be mm-hmm. who you are at home at work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, 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 you know, there's something about just meeting fake people that have hidden agendas that it's just really, you know, it's really disheartening. You know, and so I think I think authenticity and integrity are two primary attributes that I that I strive for. And I would hope we all strive for. Yeah, you have a heck of a lot less regrets, probably sleep a bit better operating that way all the time. Well, Ben, I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for your time. No, thank you so much. Technology should serve vision, not set it. 
At Intevity, we design clear blueprints for organizational readiness and digital transformation that allow companies to chart new paths. Then we drive the implementation of those plans with our client partners in service of growth. Find out more at www.intevity.com forward slash podcast. You've been listening to C-Suite Blueprint. If you like what you've heard, be sure to hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you never miss a new episode. And while you're there, we'd love it if you could leave a rating. Just give us however many stars you think we deserve. Until next time.